listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I am your host, Heather Osgood, and today on the program, I have Sarah Marini. She is the Senior Manager of Audio Partnership at Athletic Greens. Sarah and I have been working together for years now, which is kind of crazy to say, but I'm super excited to have her on the program. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, Sarah, the first time you and I worked together, you were at a company called Teamy. And that was, I don't even know how many years ago that was now. But is that, was that kind of your first experience in the podcast ad space? It was. So I, prior to that, I was just kind of running a customer rewards program. And my CEO at the time was like, what's this podcasting thing? Would you be interested in kind of trying it for us? And I was like, sure, why not? I had just listened to Serial, maybe early, late 2017, early 2018. So like way behind the ball. And that was kind of my first go with podcasts, which I think is probably that for most people. And I was like, sure, why not? You know, what do I have to lose? And I kind of like started from the ground. I didn't really know anything about the space. I didn't know who any of the players were. And so I put my head down and did the research. And it was a much different space than it is today. I'm sure you can attest to that as well. Yeah, it has changed so much. So I'm curious, it's neat that your CEO was like, hey, go do this, like go experiment with it and see what you can create. That first kind of go round for you at Teamy, was it successful? Like at the end of the campaign or the end period maybe that you were measuring, were you able to sit back and say, wow, this podcasting was pretty cool. Like, let's do more of this or like, how was it for you? Yeah, so it was interesting. I think the knowledge that we had of advertising was solely Instagram. So you'd work, find an influencer, you'd work with them, you'd post on their feed, which is real old school. I feel like now everything is Instagram stories. And you could kind of tell after like one feed post, like whether or not it was someone you wanted to work with again. However, the challenge was that audio is a little bit different. When I was talking to people and trying to buy media there, I was thinking kind of in terms of Instagram, I wanted to book one placement and see how it went. And I got so much pushback from the industry. But that's fair, right? Like, that's not really how audio works. And my knowledge wasn't, you know, it was different. The platform I had played on was different. And so kind of getting that buy-in from the CEO and the other team members on buying three ad placements and spending X amount of dollars without any sort of cancellation or whatever. It's just like, here are three placements. We're going to see what happens after the three Um, was a little scary. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we saw some early wins and we saw some not so great wins. I think the challenge was we were looking for things that worked really well for us on social media. So at the time, that was a lot of reality TV, Real Housewives. Those kinds of audiences performed really well for our product. But when I switched over to audio, there weren't that many of those. And I don't think their audiences were the same. So I was pushing for all of these Real Housewives who've just launched podcasts. And I didn't really see that much success there. I think where we saw the success for people who started in audio had really great followings there. And we were testing two to three episodes and kind of seeing slowly things increase as those episodes went on. There were a lot of things that I still had to learn. I was adapting a social platform script to audio and 
there's a lot of challenges with that and a lot of nuances in audio. So it took us a little time to kind of figure out what worked for us and what didn't. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So one of the things that I always talk about is that podcasts are, you know, influencers, right? Like podcast advertising is influencer marketing. And I always feel like we get some level of pushback in that conversation and always kind of surprises me a little bit. But I think that it's because podcasts don't fit in that neat little box, right? They don't fit in the system that people use for influencer marketing. So you having worked with actual influencer marketing, you know, spending a lot in Instagram and then comparing it to podcasts, did you feel like podcasts were influencer marketing or was you like, this is a totally different ball of wax? What's your take on that? No, I definitely felt like it was influencer marketing, but it's a different way of going about it. I mean, Dak Shepard could probably advertise anything on his podcast and I would buy it. I mean, I think when the ads are done right and when the host really, you know, has cultivated this audience, you know, they're spending their time listening to someone. I listen to Dak's like four hours a week. You know, like I am taking time out of my schedule. Can't really be scrolling and listening. It's just such a actively engaged media. That I think if you find the right fit and you find the right host or the right content, it really is like a perfect match. There's so much synergy there. I also think one of the challenges that I kind of butted up against was like not knowing how to write audio copy, not understanding the nuances of it. And that plays a really big role. I think people forget how much of a role that plays when you think about social media or even YouTube. Like there's a host or an influencer and they are showing you the product or kind of taking you through their experience with it, which is really unique as well. And in audio, you don't get that. You don't get to see the product. You don't get to see the host reaction. You really have to lean into their experience with the product mm-hmm. and how they use it. And that does require like an extra level of product education, especially if you have a product that's not just like a razor or something that people are really familiar with. Um, And that can be a challenge too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that feedback because it is a learning journey. And, you know, obviously a big part of the reason why I've created this podcast is to hope to pave the path a bit for people who are just getting started because there are some differences. And if you haven't been educated in the differences or your maybe approach is off a bit, it can definitely impact the results that you have. So it sounds like you really went through a big educational process there at Teamy. And then I know you moved on from there to Magellan. Um, And for those listening who aren't familiar with Magellan, I know we have had Cameron, the CEO on the program here, but Magellan really has made a lot of strides in the industry in terms of their ability to bring kind of some metrics and, and bring a lot of understanding around what is happening in the podcast space, be that you know, are ads getting delivered, what folks are advertising in this space and a variety of other things that they offer. But that time at Magellan, do you feel like that kind of deepened your understanding of the industry? I do. You know, it's funny. I was actually a really early adopter of Magellan prior to them having their like platform that they do now. And they were a huge help to me in being able to listen to all of our ad reads and kind of make tweaks and see whether or not things were actually going live and using the right codes and things like that that are really manual. I mean, prior to them, I was spending like a couple hours a week, like skipping through trying to find our ads, make sure they said what I wanted to say, and then also use the correct code. But being there was interesting. You know, I had gone from 
buying media to managing it, to managing those relationships and also, you know, the back end of it to like a totally different side. I was now, you know, there to support our networks and our brands and make sure that they were getting the most out of a product and make sure that they were getting the value out of it. But it allowed me to kind of see what other people were doing. Um, It allowed me to see how people were using the platform what they were looking for, you know, see different people's media strategies. I talk with a lot of our network and brand clients, and that was really great. What it did make me realize is that I missed being on the brand side of things. I loved the team there and I loved being there, but it made me miss like being a media buyer, being in the weeds, strategizing and all of that stuff. But they offer a way for you to kind of see what others are doing, almost like a little sneaky. It's something I didn't have before to see like where were other health brands spending what kind of copy were they using? And can I kind of use that to guide mine? What are other people in the space doing? Um, And how can I kind of get an edge on other people? And I think that that's kind of what they offer now, which is really great for someone new in the space to kind of like dabble around and see what's happening. Also to see who the big players are in the space, who some of the smaller players are and kind of start your, your path. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think the analytics that they provide and just the insights are pretty amazing. Cause like you said, it's like you can kind of pull back the curtain and look at what other people are doing and who's spending what. Now that kind of brings us to present day, which is Athletic Greens. And Athletic Greens is a top spender in the space. My guess is that when you joined Athletic Greens, they probably weren't spending anywhere near what they are spending now in podcast advertising. I want to say, and maybe you know the exact number, but Athletic Greens is definitely in the top five in terms of spending for the industry. And that's that's pretty substantial. So Athletic Greens has a ton of knowledge and, you know, just experience in the space. And so I, I guess I'm just kind of curious in terms of that progression, in terms of seeing the growth, what has your experience been like at Athletic Greens in terms of uh, the growth that you've seen? Yeah, I think what's really unique about Athletic Greens is that podcasting came before Instagram. It came before YouTube. It was kind of like our first influencer marketing channel, which isn't usually the case. When I was at Teamy, like Instagram was our thing. That was where we pushed. And podcast was like, hey, there's this thing that I think might do well for us. We should try it. Where it was kind of the opposite at Athletic Greens, which was really unique and really exciting as someone who kind of fell in love with the podcast space. And when we started, you know, we were on a couple of shows, a couple of good thought leaders in the space to really help amplify our message, which I think is important, right? I think our brand is unique and special. You know, we're a foundational nutritional product. We've kind of created this own lane for us. We don't really fit into what people no, we're not a greens powder. We're not a multivitamin. We're kind of a little bit more complex. And so we really leaned on thought leaders in the space. And we were working with, you know, maybe a few podcasts here and there. And then we started getting really great signals. So we started expanding and really stuck to like our core, our health and wellness, our endurance, like those things that we know do really well for us. And as time has kind of evolved, We have kind of looked at where else can we dive in? Who are the other big players in the space? Who are the other influencers? It's not just these large podcasts. So it's a lot of micro podcasts and mid-level podcasts that have really great audiences. You might not see 500 customers come in from an ad spot, but you see a really committed audience. You see people like 
sharing about it on social and tagging that podcast host, tweeting about it, um, and really having a conversation also outside of audio, which has been really fun. Yeah. I And I love that uh, what I have seen you do at Athletic Greens is that you are willing to invest in the shows that perform well. So I think, you know, some of the things that I've seen are that you're willing to test a lot. And I know that you, like, as you mentioned, you guys kind of started out with the select number of shows, but now it has gone to the place where you are buying lots of different shows and you're willing to test a lot. But then when something does work, you're also willing to invest in that. And, you know, from my vantage point, you aren't just looking for these mega shows. You're open to smaller shows, too. You know, there I feel like there is this line where an audience has to be big enough or you're just not going to see a return. Right. You know, you can't advertise to 100 people and expect it to be profitable. but there's a huge range in podcasting, right? I mean, we have the shows that are doing millions and then we have shows that are doing, you know, in the low thousands um, in terms of their audience size and reach. And, you know, we can leverage both of them, I believe, but I'm curious kind of what your approach has been, especially just when it comes to size in general. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think people think that, you know, show has a million people following and they're going to do incredible and blow it out of the water and you can work with them forever and everything is peachy. But that's not always the case. Like just because they have a large audience doesn't mean that it's an engaged audience, right? Like, you know, the people think about, I'm going to kind of relate back to social media because I think it's what most people are familiar with and where most people have spent. But when you think of the people on Instagram that have 100 million followers, 200 million followers, their audience isn't necessarily engaged. They're usually a bigger name. People are following them because they're some celebrity or sports athlete. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they care like what they're doing, what products they're using. They're not always sharing their everyday life, the ups and downs. And I think that's the same with audio, right? Like you have a podcast. They have millions of followers. Not everyone's listening to every episode. Maybe they've been following them for a really long time. Um, their audience might not be growing really rapidly, which I think is something to keep in mind with audio. Like you want to be on a show who is continuing to grow as you continue to advertise there and build these lasting relationships with shows. If they're not growing their audience, they're not inviting new people in to hear your message um, and to learn about your product. So you're just kind of advertising to the same like subset of people year after year. And eventually, you know, you will kind of see that performance flatline. So I think that's important too. But then on the other side, when you look at kind of podcasts that range between, you know, let's say like 10,000 to 30,000 listeners per episode, that's a really engaged audience. Sometimes mm -hmm. the each podcast, you know, something about rock climbing or sailing or a podcast about parenting, like they're super engaged and really want to know what these hosts have to say, what products they're using, how they're using them. And I think that's really important too. There's value in both. I don't think setting your media strategy to be all large podcasts or all small podcasts. I think that like mix is really, really helpful. And, you know, there's more risk too in a larger podcast. There's more dollars at risk there. And so I think for, you know, people who are just getting in the, into the space, kind of finding the, you know, mid-tier shows, smaller shows may be a really good way to kind of test the waters and find out what kind of verticals work for you, what kind of hosts, even play around with ad copy. There's less, there's less risk there. Mm -hmm. I think that's 
really good place to test and iterate and kind of evolve and then take what you've learned and apply it to some of those bigger shows. Yeah, I think that that is so smart. And I love hearing you say that just because the show is really big doesn't mean it's automatically going to be successful. It's not to say that the big shows can't be successful. Um, For sure they can, but you don't have to have a mega audience in order to really see that return. And I know I just think for myself and the content that I engage with both in social media and in podcasts, I like to listen to shows where I feel like I can relate to the host and that the things that they're discussing or the life experiences or the business experiences or whatever it is that I'm listening to, that I can relate to them. And I think the average audience does as well. The other thing that you said that I think is really important is that having a growing audience is so important, especially when you're looking for a long-term partnership. Because after you have run on a show or advertised on a show for you know, a couple of years, you are going to see diminishing returns if that audience isn't continuing to grow, get new people on because all of their existing audience may have purchased your product right already, but the people who were going to buy it bought it and the people who were coming in might have an opportunity to buy. Um, I'm curious, I hear people say this a lot and I think I totally agree that if you test on smaller shows, then you can get your bearings and then you can decide to scale. One of the questions I do have, though, is do you feel like there's been a direct return between the type of show at a small show and scaling it to the big? So what I mean is when people are testing on smaller shows, let's say they're advertising on a health and wellness podcast, right? So everything that we cover in this podcast is health and wellness. But instead of having a large audience, let's say they have a small audience. Can you take that learning and say, okay, it worked on this small show. Now I'm going to do everything on the big show. Like how directly translatable is it? And when you're looking at small shows and then looking to scale, what are the things you're looking at? Is it Is it genre? Is it like specific audience in terms of who they're reaching? Is it the way that they're delivering the ads or the content? Like what kind of similarities would you be looking for in order to go from small scale to big? I think there's a lot of things to look at. I think like content is important, but I think it needs to be more specific than just like this is a health podcast or this is a sports podcast. Is it a basketball show? Is it hockey? Is it um, like a sports talk show where they're talking about, you know, various uh, sports? Is it health and wellness? Is it endurance? Is it rock climbing? You know, try and get as specific as you can, right? Because health and wellness and sports are so broad. You might see really good success, for example, on hockey, but the football market doesn't really translate for you for whatever reason. I think one thing we're kind of lacking in audio is a lot of that, like, customer or consumer data mm-hmm. uh, and we can get sometimes some of the basics, the age ranges and things like that. But sometimes it's harder to get kind of the nitty gritty that you can on other channels. So I think really getting as granular as possible without driving yourself crazy um, is really helpful. I think the host too is important, right? Is this host that you're working with on a smaller platform or a smaller audience? Do they have a community built? Are they present on other channels? Like, do they have an audience in other places that they're communicating with? One thing audio has a hard time doing is there's not that like back and forth communication. You can't like DM Mm -hmm. the host 
have a conversation with them. So do they have that audience elsewhere? And when you look to scale bigger, I think evaluating some of those things as well is important. Can't just make the jump that, you know, a 10,000 download podcast that talks about health and wellness will scale to every large podcast that talks about health and wellness. What are the topics they're talking about? Are they talking about, you know, exercise and diet or are they talking about gut health and mental health? Like what are those topics that are working for you? And then where else can you find them? Mm-hmm. Um, there are also some really great tools out there that can help you find similar podcasts or similar audiences. And then sometimes you just have to take the leap and just test. It's scary, but sometimes there's really no rhyme or reason. I've been surprised by shows that have worked. I've sometimes, before we've tested, said this is either going to go really bad or it is going to be really amazing for us. My gut can't decide and I hope it goes one way, but it could go the other and that's okay. And that's why it's really important to kind of build a network of shows and a a larger net and not just be on one to two. I think you find those shows that work really well that allow you to continue to test and experiment and do all these other things so you can continue to grow that network. Mm -hmm. This has been years now, but I had someone that I interviewed say that only about 20% of the podcasts that they advertised on worked but they worked so well that it covered the other 80% that didn't work so well. Um, Would you say that you guys see similar numbers? Because really what I hear you saying, which I believe is the case, is that you just, if you're looking to create a strategy in podcasts where you can really scale in terms of a really productive advertising channel for your company, you need to test lots of shows to get to the shows that are going to be effective. But what kind of numbers do you guys typically see? Do you know? I mean, we definitely have our like top 20, 25% that really perform incredibly well. Um, and we do have other shows that perform well. You know, they're not they're not our all-stars, but they're still performing well for us to continue building long-term relationships with them. Um, and then, you know, we probably see between 20 to 30% success rate with our tests. And that's fine. You know, not everything is going to be a rock star. Um, you can predict and guess and look at all the different variables and understand what has the potential to be successful. But you're not always right. And I think yeah. that's for everything and not just audio. You're never going to hit the mark 100% of the time. And that's okay. Yeah. I always go back to that ancient quote from a gentleman whose name I will never remember. But, you know, he was one of the first people to ever place newspaper advertising. And he said, I know that 20% of my advertising works. I just don't know which 20%. And I feel like that's such a great quote, but it's also, I think it's important for us to realize that if we knew that every dollar that we spent in advertising was going to have a direct return, business would be easy, (laughs) you know, because the reality is, is business is about generating income and we don't always know, you know, what is going to perform. And as much as I would like to sit here and say podcast advertising is, you know, not risky. It's going to work 100% of the time. And I'm sure you would love to say that. At the end of the day, it is. I mean, it's a risk. Like, you don't know for sure what's going to work and what's not going to work. And it can be tricky to figure it out. And so what I hear you saying, which is certainly what we recommend, is that you just need to test to find the shows that really their audience really resonates with the product that you're selling. 
Um, is that what you would say you've seen? Yeah. I mean, what fun would it be if it worked 100% of the time? I, I think the fun it is like figuring out what doesn't and why it's yeah. how we can do better. Can we get more out of the show? Um, do we need to scale back on the show? I think that's the fun in it. I think if 100% of everything we did worked, what would be the fun in it? Right. Uh, a little game. I think it's important to understand that you are going to lose some money and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think you just need to understand like what is an acceptable risk for your business or for this channel that you guys can tolerate as you try and figure out what works. So I think once you kind of understand what you can risk, then you can really dive in. I think if you're expecting to like really hit it out of the park as soon as you enter the space, especially someone who isn't familiar with the space or this is very new, I think that's a little naive. I think it's as simple as anything. You you need to kind of learn a little bit what works for your brand, what kind of language, what kind of story do you need to tell to bring people in to understand your product, to purchase your product, to fall in love with your product and your brand. And that takes time. It takes iterations. It takes practice. Uh, you know, we still update our copy and change things around and are constantly looking at ways to make it better as things go live. It's not always going to be perfect, but getting early signals are great and how can we make adjustments to make that better? Is it less frequency with the show? Is it honing in on certain talking points and not others? Is it pushing the hosts to share their personal experience a little bit more? Um, what levers can we pull to make sure that we're getting the most out of this before we decide that it's not something that's going to work for us long term? I think that's really important. I think you need to not get so scared when things don't necessarily hit the targets that you set. But if they're heading in the right direction, can you pull a lever to push it further in the right direction? Yeah, I think that that is such a good point. And, you know, one of the things that I can't encourage enough is if you've never done podcast advertising before, when you run your first campaign, as much as I would love to say that it's going to knock it out of the park, it probably isn't. And you know, we do, um, we have a CBD company that's advertising with us right now. First time they've ever been in this space and they're like super excited, like they're seeing a really good return. But I really just think that it's the types of shows that they picked and like the certain genre that they're working with is performing really well, but they could have just as easily picked something that didn't work as well. And So when you enter into a campaign, especially for the first time, it's so important to make sure that you're entering into it with the thought that this is a test and what can you learn from it? And I I do think that that is something that advertisers don't do very often is really think about the fact that learning is a result, right? So you're learning what does work and what doesn't work. You're learning about how to create different types of campaigns, like you said whether it's better ad reads from the hosts, whether it's sending them different copy, whether it's encouraging them to talk more about their own personal experience with the product, whatever it is, there are different levers that you can pull. But oftentimes, I think that buyers don't want to put in that much work. One of the things I know you guys do at Athletic Greens that I've always been really pleasantly surprised with is I know I've received emails from you in the past where you're like, hey, so I was listening to this ad And this person did this really well, but they didn't do this. Like, could you have them like do these different things for the next ad read? And I remember the first time we got that kind of feedback, I was like, they're actually listening to all of the ads. This is incredible. 
because it really does make a difference. So I think that that's an important piece. What I'm curious about is the actual mechanics of it. So do you feel like there's a certain size show that's the right size? Are there like if somebody's never done it, like we always recommend they advertise on no less than five podcasts just because I'm like, gosh, if you advertise on less than five shows, you're not going to have enough comparable data to like really come up with anything. But what are your recommendations? I think I'm looking for what size of show and like the quantity of show that advertisers should think about if they're just brand new getting into the space. Yeah, I think that's a tough question. I think it's going to depend on the brand. I think one thing that advertisers can do when entering the space is really understand who their core audience is and what messaging they want to hit. I think that'll make it a little bit easier to narrow down on what type of shows. Because I think if you're entering the space, you really want to go after your core audiences. I don't think for us going after like life, female lifestyle and comedy would have been the right move for us three years ago when we entered the space. We didn't know much about it. Those weren't our core people, you know, endurance, running. That's what we know. That's what we know works for us. And that's who we know is buying our product. So that's where we kind of honed in on. And I think also it's important, like, I think when I started advertising five years ago, I knew so little about this space, but I was like, everyone loves my favorite murder. I need to be on that show. It's a huge show. It is gigantic. I don't think that's the place to start either. I think that was really ambitious of me thinking that I could A, get on that show and B, that it would be like the most successful thing ever because it's such a large audience and they've been around for so long, so people must love them. I don't think that's always the case. I think you really need to understand who you're advertising to and where you can meet them. It could be a large show. There could be like the most amazing large show out there, but is that the best use of the dollars you have available? I think kind of working between that like small to mid-tier is probably the best place to start because you can test like five shows, you can test 10 shows and understand like where you're seeing some early wins and where you're not. If you allocate all of your budget to these large shows, you're not really going to have an understanding of what's working because you weren't able to test enough. So that's kind of what what I think. I mean, I think everyone's a little bit different, but I think kind of being able to use your budget smartly across a bunch of different um, shows, kind of mid to small, is probably the best use of your initial test. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's great insight for sure. How do you guys track results from a campaign? How do you know if something's actually working? So we use a vanity URL um, and we kind of look at things a couple different ways. You know, we'll look at last click, which tells a little bit of the story look at survey data. We have kind of a mixed media modeling. We understand that like last click doesn't tell the whole story because maybe they listened to our episode on DAX and they came to the website, they left, they got hit with an Instagram ad or a Facebook ad and they came in through that link. We still played a role in that journey, right? Like we were the first ones potentially to get them on the site, but they kind of have like meandered through, learned more about us. They weren't quite ready to purchase at that time. So we do look at a bunch of things for attribution. And, you know, we're looking at how many people did they drive to the site? How many people actually converted? If they're not converting, but they're driving large volume, is there a disconnect somewhere that we can work on? If they're not driving traffic to the site, like what's the disconnect there as well? Um, so we kind of look at look at everything and try and create a picture and a story that we can work with. 
Do you use attribution tracking companies at all? Any of like the pod sites or Artsy or anything like that? So we have used pod sites in the past and we still use it for a couple of our shows. We haven't really used it, I think, in the way that it was designed to be used. Um, so we kind of look at all of our other internal tracking a little bit more than um, we have pod sites. I think for us, because audio is such a big player, we do get really good signals from people actually just visiting the vanity URLs that we don't necessarily need that additional attribution. But I do think it is really helpful, especially if you're trying to understand early signals or you're running more um, like a brand awareness campaign or something that you really want to understand how people are getting to your website and whether or not they're actually tracking through. If you're running like a campaign across um, you know, you're targeting a certain vertical or a certain type of individual. I think having that tracking is really important because you're not going to be able to understand like what shows within that subset are working for you, what's driving the most, and how can you continue to amplify that moving forward? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you guys just, you like you said, you guys have been doing podcast advertising for so long. You have a really good system in place to know what actually is working and what isn't. So I think that's really important. Are there any particular challenges that you feel like you guys are facing? I know we talked about so much has changed in the podcast space, right, from 2017 until today. Like, you know, uh, we're recording this at the end of 2022, going into 2023. So a lot has changed. But are there particular challenges that you feel like you're facing around podcast advertising? Um, I think for us personally, just being on such a large set of shows, it's really continuing to find the shows that work for us. We're cycling through a lot of content. And so it's, it's more how can we deepen the relationship with the partners we're working with? How can we really hone in on things that are working for us? Are there new things we can test that we haven't before? What can we tweak? Can we tweak the way that we're buying the frequency? Um, I think for us, we've kind of realized that a copy has been stale for a whole year. We haven't really made many tweaks to it. And we've done a couple of updates on a few small shows and we've seen really great success there. And I think that was like a big wake up call to us. Like our copy is stale and that matters. That does matter. Um, I think we kind of put that on the back burner because we were seeing such like success without having to update it. And when we finally did do that, we realized, oh my God, what have we been doing? It's so important. And I think we kind of forgot that. Well, and you guys advertise on so many shows. And I've, so I have a theory, which I'm sure you guys are taking advantage of, where you can go shallow and wide with podcast advertising because podcast listeners listen to multiple shows. If you buy just, you know, if you buy a little on a lot of shows, there's going to be crossover, right? Like people are going to listen to My Favorite Murder and they're also going to listen to Crime Junkies. And so there's going to be crossover that happens. Um, but that means possibly your copy might get sale more quickly because people are hearing your ads more often. Um, is that something you feel like you guys have faced at all? I've never really thought about it that way, but it's very possible. I mean, for us, we have one product, right? We don't have multiple products. We have one product. It is our core. It is our baby. We really take a lot of pride in that one product. And I think that's what makes us unique as a brand. But how do we keep that fresh for the listeners? How do we keep that fresh for the hosts and keep them engaged? And I think that's the challenge that we face, right? 
we can't talk about, you know, um, multiple things. We have our AG1, our core, and that is that is it. Um, but it does offer us benefits. And I think just figuring out how we can keep that unique and fun and fresh um, is really important and something that we're kind of focused on for this upcoming year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you do. I think you do have a unique challenge because you're selling a product, right? You don't have like you can't say, oh, let's feature this product line this month. The next you know, month we'll we'll feature something else. So I know we need to start wrapping it up here. I'm curious if you feel like you have any predictions about what might happen, you know, in the upcoming years in podcast advertising. Do you see anything on the horizon that you feel like might be changing drastically? Ooh. I've seen some really nice advancements in tech, which has been really fun. I love being able to see like the attribution evolve. I think it's something we're going to kind of get back into for 2023. I think we're going to see more and more dynamic, which I know has always been a thing. I still love our baked in ads, but I think there's a huge shift towards dynamic. I also think there's going to be a shift towards programmatic, and I don't know what that looks like. But I think that's going to be the next like big shift that a lot of us D2C brands kind of fight. But I think it's headed that way. There's a lot of tech out there. There's a lot of ways to play around with it. I think if we can really define what programmatic is and what it looks like, I think more D2C brands will get involved in that. But I think that's the next the next big shift. Yeah, I totally agree with you um, on all accounts. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see where where things head. But I do really believe that, as we mentioned, podcast ads really are influencer marketing and the host red ad is so important. And so I see the place for programmatic ads and I understand the impact it could have on the industry. I just hope that we don't totally go away from it because from a listening experience, it's so much better to listen to a host red ad. And I think from a results perspective, host red ads do tend to perform really well. So not that programmatic ads can't perform well. There's definitely sure. a place for them, right? There is a place for them. I love a post red ad. I mean, no. I still have the MeUndies ad in my head playing from Duck Shepherd. Took me <laughs> three to purchase, but I got there. <laughs> so it does work. Mm-hmm. It'll get there. Yeah, it's totally true. Yeah. I think it took my husband like three years to buy MeUndies from um, ads he heard on Joe Rogan. So it does work. It's just repetition, right? <laughs> I put things in my cart on and off for months and years, and then eventually I pulled the trigger. (laughs) It's fun. It's like window shopping, right? (laughs) Online window shopping. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the program. If people want to connect with you, where is a good place for them to do that? um, You can find me on LinkedIn, and then you can shoot me an email. That's probably the easiest place to find me. Excellent. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope that this episode has been as insightful for you as it has been for me. I just love the Athletic Greens journey. I think that they have come so far in this space. And if you are interested in entering podcast advertising, I would encourage you to head on over to our website, truenativemedia.com to download our podcast advertising guide. Thank you for listening and we will catch you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast advertising industry. 